anybody ever been to the Wexner Art Center? The Wexner Art Center. I figured the only person that might even get close might be my sister-in-law, Courtney. But, so I thought she might be here this morning, but I'm assuming because everybody's just looking at me like, where in the world is that at? So the Wexner Art Center is the, one of the newest buildings, one of the newest art centers in the world, and it's located on the campus of Ohio State University. Now, I got the OSU right, just a little bit farther to the north than, than God's country really resides. But on this campus, there is this Wexner Art Center. And of course, you can imagine by the name, it is where the new age modern art takes place. Well, before he died here not too long ago, Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, which is a noticed, noted apologist, he's a preacher, he's a pastor, a well-known speaker, he was telling a story about going to the campus of Ohio State University to do a, a, a lectureship. And he, he tells the story and he says he was being driven by the host, by the driver, on the campus and they drove past the Wexner Art Center. And the driver said to Ravi Zacharias, he says, this is the new art building for the university. In fact, it's a, it's a fascinating building designed in the post-modernist modern, post-modernist view of reality. And so Ravi Zachariah was kind of like, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, inside that building, the building has no pattern. There are staircases that go nowhere. There's pillars that are not supporting anything. He said the entire architect of the, the entire architecture of the building is designed to reflect life today. And he said there are many things, if not most of the things inside of the building go nowhere, are mindless and senseless. And the architecture had in mind that that was a reflection of this postmodern world in which we are living in. Well, in a way that only Ravi Zachariah can do, he thought for a moment, he responded back to the driver and said, well, did they do the same thing with the foundation? <laughs> and the driver said, oh, no, sir. No, sir. You see, when it comes to the foundation, you got to leave the foundation like it is. The infrastructure, the stuff inside of it, you can, you, you can alter with that. You can temper with that if you tamper with that, if you will. He said, but once you start tampering with the foundation, it affects everything else that it is built upon. And the driver said, when the foundation is in jeopardy, then the rest of the building is in jeopardy. We started last week talking about some foundations. We, we started last week talking about some, some foundational truths that we should hold as a church. And so Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be. If some of you got a bulletin when you came in, there'll be some notes on the back of that. I apologize. We ran out of bulletins this morning, which is a blessing. It's a great problem for us to have, but I know how to fix that problem. And uh, we are going to print some more for next week. And so when you come in, we will... We, we will um, you just keep running us out of bulletins and we'll keep printing more bulletins. How about that? So we'll just keep doing that, but hopefully you have something you write on. Hopefully you have something you write with. There'll be some notes as we work through God's Word together, but we started last week in what historically or traditionally we think of as the Ten Commandments. We started looking at it though in the sense of God has given this Word. He has given this Word not just to His people, the Israelites, but He's also given this Word to the church because He's giving the church some foundations. He's given them some foundations for which He wants them to build their faith and their practice on. And so we talked last Sunday 
about the quote from A.W. Tozer about what comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about it. And so we're going to continue in that thought and thinking about when we think about God, what comes to mind? And what is our foundation built Upon, I, I worry that so many times a day we are living in this postmodern reality where we think that everything is relative. We think there is no such thing as absolute truth. We think that we can alter. We think that we can tamper. We think that we can change. We can do whatever we want to do and that we are the creators of our own destiny. But God has been very clear to us. These are foundational truths for which I want you to build your life, your family, your society, your 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 the culture, everything, these are the foundations that God has given us. And we start to misdefine, we start to misjudge, when we start to misunderstand, misapply, or mistake these things in our lives. We might think it's benign, but God says it's malignant. So these things that creep in that you and I may say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just once or it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not going to be a reoccurring thing or it's not just a big deal. Look, they're doing it five times worse. If we start tampering with the foundation, then we are going to compromise the entire building that we are supposed to be living upon. So last week we were talking about God foundation of God. Who God is. If you were here, you remember the main idea was there is only one God. Well, God follows that up here in Exodus chapter 20 and starting in verse 4 and he then gives us God's position on idols. So really the second foundation has to do with idols. Now I realize the majority of you are here this morning and when you woke up, wherever you woke up at, you probably did not have a shrine. You probably did not have an idol, a physical idol in your house that you got up and you bowed down to or you worshiped or you anointed or you fed or you watered or whatever you do with them. A lot of times we don't have those things, but I am here to suggest, I am here to argue for the fact that we have more idols in our lives than we realize. And sometimes you're living with idols. Sometimes you go to work to idols. Sometimes you work so that you can pay for your idols that you can use on the weekends. Sometimes you sit here in church daydreaming about how you can use your idol as soon as you get out of church. Sometimes you neglect your commitment to the kingdom of God because of the idols in your life have too strong of a hold on your heart. And so this morning, what I want to do is straight out of God's word and just point to you what God has to say about idols. So starting in verse 4 and down through verse 6, I'm going to read aloud from my copy of God's word and I just want you to follow along in yours. And let's look at this second foundation that God gives us concerning the priority of our faith in our lives today. So it says in Exodus 20 and verse 4, You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. May God add understanding and application to his word this morning. The second foundation, or we commonly think of the second commandment that God gives us, you see there in the notes, is just simply, you shall not make for yourself a carved 
image. But sometimes we just leave that as simplistic as it may be and say, okay, Spence, I don't have the carved image in my home, so I am good. And we can miss often the other idols that we have placed in our lives and we ignore them. And I think God is screaming to us through his word saying, any idol damages your faithfulness to God. So we're going to look at it in three different P's, if you will. Sometimes alliteration is useful for the memory. And so three different P's that I draw from here in this text having to do with the idols that we have in our lives. And the first one is, is the, the, the precept. Now a precept is just a fancy word talking about a rule or a command or a truth or, or a reality. It's a mandate or some type of boundary. So when you hear people talk about the precepts when it comes to God's word, they're just talking about the, 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 that, the uh, thou shouts out of God's word. And so what is the precept that God God is trying to get us to in the text this morning. Well, quite simply, you see there in your notes, to not create idols. The whole theme of what God is trying to say right here in this foundation is, is that for you as a listener, for you as the Christian, for the people of Israel, they were not to create idols. Now, you may read that and you may say, well, of course, Spence, we're not supposed to create idols. But then we need to follow that up and ask, well, then what is an idol? Is an idol a figurine? I could take you down to Reynosa, Mexico, and you get there right across the border from Donna, Texas, and uh, McAllen, Texas, or actually south of McAllen, but you get down there into Reynosa, and some of those city streets you can go to, there will be little places at the corners or the intersections, and they will have this little, like a, almost like we consider like a mailbox, big old brick mailbox, but inside there, there'll be a little bit of a recessed area, and the families will put these little figurines inside that recessed area, and a lot of them come from their Catholic roots, but they'll have these little figurines in there. There. And what they're identifying is, is that anybody coming down the road and they know that, let's say, the Hernandez family lives there, those are the gods they worship. And you can go from street corner to street corner to street corner, from person's house to house to house, and they will have these little edifices set up with these different figurines. They're not all the same, but what they're identifying is to people, it's like you would put your address on your mailbox or you'd put your name on your mailbox or, or something to identify who you are. These individuals come in and they put these idols there to say, this is who we are and this is what we believe. Now, I drove by this and I'm looking and going, well, how in the world did anybody do that? And then I start thinking about in our society today and people do it all the time. <laughs> Instead of leaving it out the driveway, they park it in the garage. And, and instead of leaving it at the intersection, they hang it up on the wall. And instead of making it known in a, in, in, a, in a tangible thing, they do something with their time and they do something with their devotion. So, so what is an idol? An idol, as described in the Word of God, is an image. It, it, it's an object, if you will, or a likeness on this earth that you worship. That's what he's trying to get at right there, there in verse 4, when he says, an image you should not make for yourself to carve image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. God says, do not create an idol and this is what an idol is. Any image, object, or likeness that you worship. So that means that anything that you prioritize over God is an idol. Anything that you worship more than you worship God is an idol. Anything that takes a higher matter of importance in your life rather than God is an idol idol or can be an idol in this day and age. And so we're living in a day and age that somebody may say, well, is this more important than God? And I know the Sunday school answer. Of course it's no. But then when it comes down to the time, it's yes. 
Well, is, is, this, is this a bigger priority than God? Well, absolutely not. But then when the time comes, it's, well, you know, I'm just going to fudge here. I'm just going to compromise here. One of the things that God says is you need to understand that idols matter and that we are the ones that put idols into our lives. Notice he doesn't give us the indication that God creates idols or God is the one that puts the idols in our lives. He is saying to his people, you shall not make an idol. You shall not bring an idol into your life. You shall not put anything in your life that takes place before me. So in other words, you see there in your notes, when we worship what we create, we are worshiping the creator rather than the creation. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this image or I'm going to have this thought. Really what we're doing is we're worshiping man. We're worshiping ourselves and saying, I know better. I know right from wrong. I know what I should do. And so we're actually, actually worshiping ourselves. And so you have these figurines. And you think back historically. Or you think about culturally in other areas where they just make it very clear. They have the idols and they have the figurines and they have the pictures and they have this and they have that. And the people are worshiping that stuff. And God says, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Do you not understand? You carved that piece of wood into that idol and now you're falling down and worshiping it. How much sense does it make that we go around putting idols in our lives of our own creation only to say those things come before God. It just doesn't make sense for us to go around and thinking that all of these things are God and God is not God. I was in India uh, several years ago on a, on a mission trip and we flew into a, a smaller city of Rapur and we had to get in a vehicle and they were going to drive us about three and a half hours, four hours south down to this village we were going to. And so the, the driver, he didn't speak any English and I don't speak any Indian. And so there was obviously going to be a language barrier there and I get in there and on his dash he has this little glass cube, if you will. And inside of this glass cube there's this little figurine looked like one of Ezra's toys but it was an elephant and the elephant was set down on his haunches and he had his heads he had his front legs kind of in his lap and he had this crown and some jewels around me around his neck and the figurine was inside the the, the crystal or the glass case that was sitting on the dash and I'm thinking what is that I mean I've seen the bulldog in the front of the Mack trucks right Okay, this is not it. I mean, this was setting there with something. So I asked the translator, I said, what is that? And they said, well, that is Yishni, which is one of the Hindu gods. And see, that person is Yishni is one of the Hindu gods over travelers and over drivers. And so he had the god of drivers there on his dash to kind of watch over him and take care of him. And I said, can you just imagine that? You're the guy that makes the elephant, that puts it in the little clear cube, and you're turning around and saying, ha, this is a god, I just made it, now this is a god, and you worship that. And I'm thinking, why in the world would anybody do that? But how many times do we worship things just like that in our lives today? So we get the precept. God gives Moses the precept. And he said, do not create idols. And he's telling them that to warn them to say not just that idolatry is a problem in the human life today, but more often than not, we are the ones that put the idols there. You get up in the middle of the night and you're walking through the house and you stub your toe. And it makes you mad. Oh, it makes you so angry till you realize you're the one that left the thing there the night before. So many times we put these things into our lives and then we wonder why we start to trip over them. So God gives us the precept. He says, do not create idols. Then he gives us the purpose. The, the, the second P there in your notes, he gives us the purpose. Why should we not create idols? Why should we not entertain idols? Why should we constantly be vigilant that we are not letting idols creep into our lives? Why? Because the jealousy of God. In fact, he says that right there in verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I 
the Lord your God am jealous. He makes it very clear. There is no uh, excuses. There is no apologies. God says the reason why you shouldn't have idols is because I am a jealous God. Now I realize that in this world today sometimes jealousy takes a bad rap. Sometimes people use it in a negative connotation in a controlling situation or in an overbearing situation. But let me just ask you this. If God wasn't jealous for you, who would you want God to be jealous for? Don't you want God to love you? Don't you want God to love you so much to send his son to die for you? Don't you want God to love you so much that he doesn't let your first no suffice? That he continues to pursue after you. He continues to send people into your lives to pray for you, to share with you the gospel. He continues to send people in your lives to show you the love of himself. Don't you want God to continue to pursue after you? Why does he do that? Because he's a jealous God. Because he made every single one of you. He created every single one of you in his image. And he loves every single one of you to the point that He has sent his son to die for you. And some of you have received that gift. Some of you have said, I I, I repent. I confess of my sins. And you've given your heart to Jesus. Some of you have done that. But then you've strayed away. And you become backslidden. And you become a little stubborn. And you think, well, I'm going to go to church. But you know what? I'm not going to get plugged in. I'm not going to get devoted. And then there's some of you that, that, statistically speaking, are here this morning. And you've never repented of your sins. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And if you were to die today, you will go to hell. God still loves you so much that he put you here in the church service so that you could be reminded that time isn't too late. Because it's the jealousy of God. And that's the purpose of why we must guard ourselves from those idols because those idols will come in and they'll begin to crack the foundation. They'll begin to erode the foundation. They'll begin to tamper with the foundation of the truthfulness of God's word. And the next thing you know, we aren't jealous for God the way that God is jealous for us because we're jealous for all the delights and all the dainties and all the things that the world tells us are to replace our devotion and our commitment to God. If we're not careful, idols start to take control of us than God taking control of us. So there's a purpose because of the jealousy of God but it just doesn't doesn't end there. You go on there in verse 5. It talks about the iniquity of the fathers. It's talking about the sin of the fathers. God is saying, listen, this is the purpose why you need to guard yourselves from idols because parents, when you sin, it not just affects you, the sin of the fathers, but it also is influence on the children. It's an influence on the children. Sometimes people think, well, I can sin in private and nobody ever knows. Sin is never private. Sin is always social. It's always social. I mean, just think about the example that we have today of this COVID-19 virus. Somebody can be a one-on-one conversation with someone else, have some possibility of contracting the virus. They go and interact with someone else and it spreads. And the next thing you know, everybody in their world's quarantined. I saw Kylie for the first time. This last Wednesday night, she came walking in. I said, where have you been? She said, well, I've been on quarantine. Why? Well, one of my players got COVID. So they had to quarantine the entire group, and it was two weeks, and I went without seeing Kylie. And we're like, where, where is she at? I, I, she just checked out on me. What's going on? Because that virus spreads. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that it's not because I said it, but because God's word tells us when that sin gets into your life, it makes you sick. And that sickness starts infecting other people. The next thing you know, what you think is private turns into something social. 
And the same way that a smile is contagious, the same way a frown is contagious, the same way that COVID is contagious, sin is contagious. And God comes in here in this text and he says, guard yourselves from idols. Guard that foundation built upon God. Guard, guard your heart because not only is God jealous, but the sin of the fathers is going to influence the children. What adults will do in moderation, their children will do in excess. And these things that we need to be reminded of, that it's not just the little sins of me personally. It's the effect that it'll have on my family. It's the effect that it'll have on my children. It's not just the danger of the idols in my life. It's the danger of what the idols do to my life and to those around me. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful of these things taking root. We've got to be careful of these things because God says, don't you understand what these idols will do. So we have the precept. We have the purpose. God, God tells us, do not create idols. This is why I don't want you to create idols. This is why I don't want you to give harbor to these idols. And then you come thirdly to verse 6 because he gives us the promise. This is why God says to do what he's doing. So many times uh, the boys will look at me and they'll say, Daddy, what am I going to do there? And, and I haven't told you this before, so I'll just hold this finger up. And what this means is because I said so. I got tired of saying because I said so. So I just started the first finger. So boys growing up and they're still growing up and they'll say, Daddy, why do I got to do that? I ain't got to waste another breath. I just hold my finger up. This is because mama said so. It's just rule number two. Rule number two in the McConnell household. One, because daddy said so. Two, because mama said so. Them boys will be sitting there and they'll start squabbling and they'll start questioning, you know, that, 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 con, that, that confronting authority and I'll just hold my finger up. I ain't wasting my time on you. I'm telling you, it's this way because daddy said so, period. Well, God sometimes does that to us. Ain't nothing wrong with that. He's God and you're not God. <laughs> He's all sovereign and you're not. He has full authority. You don't. He created you. You didn't create him, so guess where the pecking order's at? You're under God. So if God tells you something and looks at you and says, because I said so, that should be enough. But God tells us. God says, this is the precept. Don't create idols. This is the purpose because of what it does to your heart and because of the jealousy of God. And then he gives us this promise. Oh, this is such a good thing. And I know you're so excited. I, I don't know why you're not acting more Pentecostal. You're getting up and running around. This is some good stuff right here. This is some good stuff because he just doesn't leave us at the downer part. He just doesn't leave us at the bottom. He just doesn't say, ha, huh, good. Don't create idols. You're going to create idols. You're a miserable sinner. You're going to go to hell. Have a nice day and leaves. He doesn't do that. Now he gives us the promise. Why should we guard our hearts from idols? Verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Some of your Bibles may have a little footnote right there when it comes to thousands because when you go back to the, Hebrew, the, the original in the Hebrew, it's hard to really get a good translation of what that thousands are referring to because some will translate it as being thousands of generations. Some will translate it as being thousands of thousands of thousands. Some translate it to just be a thousand and a singular number. It's kind of hard to get an understanding about but what Jesus, what, what God is saying to Moses is he is, he is saying, do you not understand of my steadfast love? It is unending. Remember talking about the buckets of grace and just pouring out grace after grace after grace. He is saying, my love for you is just as abundant that my steadfast love, not my fickle love, not my temporal love, not my occasional love, my steadfast love for you is so unending, you can't expire it. You can't exhaust it. 
You can't get more than you can handle. It's this idea that he says, I want to make you a promise. For those who love me and keep my commandments, there is the steadfast love for God always coming from me. And we are able to listen to the love of God for us and just sit here. No emotion, no excitement. No glory, no hallelujah. Can you imagine being in such a state spiritually that nothing moves your heart? We've all got music. Because music is so powerful. We've all got music that we will listen to that does something to us. That stirs our hearts. That, 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 that triggers something inside of us. There was a little YouTube video that was circulating social media this last week. And it was, there was two young men, two young black men that were sitting there. And they're like reviewing a song. And so they were going to review the, the Phil Collins song. I can feel it coming in the dead of night. And so they're sitting there. They've never heard the song before. And so they're sitting listening to the song for the first time and recording their response to the song. And the video is going around because there was people that were going like, well, isn't that so funny seeing this generation respond to music from the previous generation? But these guys, I mean, they're, they're hearing this for the first time. It's, it's a fresh thing and they're, they're having a fresh response. But I'm watching this going, I know what's going to happen next. <laughs> I've listened to the song a lot. I mean, I know exactly where this is going, but they're seeing it for the first time. And so you're seeing that newness of their emotions. You're seeing the newness of their response. You're seeing the newness in their attitude and their behavior. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we get bored with God and not because God is boring, but because we have let our awe of God wane. And it's easy to do. It's, it's easy to do when we start focusing more on the idols than on God. So God comes in. He gives us this promise. The, the assurance of monotheism I put there in your notes. What is monotheism, Spence? Well, you have monotheism and you have polytheism. Mono just comes from the word as being only. Poly means many. Theism is the idea of this devotion to God. So God says, listen, when you are monotheistic in your faith, when you are monotheistic in your belief, when you are monotheistic in your trust in me, that will suffice and that will be better than any of the polytheistic things around us. See, sometimes we are living where we are trying to spread out the risk. Think about a stock market analogy. Some people they won't want to, want to put all their money in just one stock, so they divide it out. They spread it out through a market... <clears throat> through a mutual fund or an index fund and they'll spread it out because they want to spread out the risk. Sometimes people in the world today, they think, well, you know, I'm going to spread out my hopes for heaven. So I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this because I'm not sure if God is really going to come through in this thing and so I'm just going to have a backup plan. I'm not sure if this is really going to happen the way it is so I'm going to kind of have my toes dabbled in different pools around us. God says, come to me, trust me, follow me and just test and see if I don't show myself better than you could ever imagine. Let me read this to you. I know my time is running short. Let me read this to you out of Lamentations 3 and starting in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
It's this idea that the, the temperature and the, and the craving of your heart when you wake up in the morning, what, what are you craving? Well, what's your desire in the morning? What, what is the thing that you are seeking after the most? Sometimes we wake up and say, I don't want to talk to nobody until I get my coffee. I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors that our beloved Greg wakes up in fifth gear. Brother, we'll have to work on that. I'll sedate you the night before. We'll fix that. But I've heard stories. In fact, people have said when you get to camp with Greg and he just wakes up, just cheerful as can be the first thing in the morning. I'm like, I don't want to do anything in the morning except for just survive. <laughs> Some of you are there with me. Some of you can relate to that. But the, but the question really comes in, what God is looking for is when you wake up in the morning, what are your desires? What are your needs? What are your, what are your preferences? Where are you seeking? In other words, is God enough? Is God enough? He says right there, the promise that God gives us in verse 6, showing his steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, just test me. Just try me. Just see if you can get more people coming to me than I can love at one time. Just try to give me more time than I can handle. Just try to give me more commitment than I can handle. Just try to give me more devotion than I can handle. Just try to give me more of you than I can give you of me. Just try it. Because no matter what you give God, God is going to give you twice in return. Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I realize that idols promise peace and joy without God, but they can never do what God can do. And so he comes in with this promise. He starts with the precept. He tells us the purpose. He doesn't just leave us with it just because he said so. And then he gives us the promise that if you guard yourselves from idols, then this is what is going to happen. So where are you? I can't speak for your life. But where are you? What idols have you placed in your life? Where have you placed idols in your life? I'm not going to ask you if you have. Because I think that'd be giving us too much credit. I think the reality is, is that me included, every single one of us in this room, we have placed idols in our lives. And maybe the question isn't, well, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I did that. Maybe the question we should be asking is, where are they, God? Show them to me so I can go get rid of them. This house that we're moving, in the process of moving to, dilapidated chicken shack back behind the house 60 feet from the house and timber and some brush was around there and so yesterday afternoon I, them boys love it when I'm off work and so man it's just like get it central and so uh, we're sitting there and I, I cleaned some of that brush away and I'm over there and I'm looking for the copperhead because Mark had already been over there already had found one so I knew he planted more there on the property and so I knew there was more that he was just waiting for me to find and so I'm sitting there and, and I'm thinking where is it at where is it at he didn't see it and so we come back and I'm having the boys drag the brush and then I hear copperhead copperhead and, and, and they found the snake and so I'm like well is this thing like five foot tall and walking towards the boys and so I reach around the building to see to make sure sure enough yeah that that's that that, that, that's, that's going to die. And so I reach back over less than 10 feet to grab a hold of the shovel to go back to start planting a... I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Throw it at it. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. But we got to do something. And about the time I get back over there with the shovel, that snake is crawling into the bottom of the dilapidated chicken house. Which I know at some point you say, just point the bazooka at the place and let it go. I get it. 
But there were other things on the agenda yesterday, and so this thing crawls up inside of it. And so I know that there is a snake inside or underneath that dilapidated chicken house. And so there were several times we'd be hauling off brush, we would come back, and Luke, let's say the front of the chicken house is right there, and Luke is about from here to there, and he's squashed down on the ground, and he's looking at the bottom of the chicken house. And I say, Luke, Luke, what are you doing? And he says, I'm just waiting to see if the thing comes out. And I said, what do you think it's going to do? Come out and wave at you? Come out and smile? Come out and go, nanny, nanny, boo, boo? And then run back inside? I mean, but this idea, this anticipation, this expectation, and about, that, about 9.30 last night, I'm sitting on the back side of the house. I can't tell you exactly what was on my mind but I was sitting there in just the quietness of the night and I hear noises that thing is setting up house I can, I'm sure it was sweeping it was probably setting some curtains up I'm sure it's probably do, I, now I'm sure you're probably thinking you're crazy I think I am crazy I don't think there was probably making any noise inside there I, I don't suspect that but you know it's one of those things once you know it's there then you, you're thinking about it and it's always in your mind and here's the application I want to leave you with is that when it comes to the idols in your life God knows they're there you just need to know they're there and then when God shows them to you how can we ever have a moment of peace knowing that there are things in our lives that are cracking our foundation? There are things in our lives that are eroding our faith. There are things in our lives that are keeping us from pursuing after God the way that He desires for us to pursue after Him. So I ask you, where had you placed the idols in your life? The second question that I ask you, that I want to leave you with this morning, is what legacy are you living? What legacy are you living? Are we living a legacy saying, I'm going to be faithful to God or that I am going to have a life that was littered with idols? What kind of a life are you living? What kind of a legacy are you leaving? Because every day you live, you're writing a story with your life. And your children will come up and they will see the story. Some of your children are going to follow your story. You are going to live and leave that life for the ones that come after you. So what kind of legacy are you living? And this last one will be done. Is God enough for you? Greg and I aren't sophisticated to the point where, you know, we strategize about music set and we strategize about uh, sermon context. And so he comes up with this song. It's not a new song, but uh, I didn't know that he was going to play uh, God is Good. I didn't know that he was going to play some of these songs that he's playing. I'm listening to these things. Do we really believe this? Because some of us are singing it, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God is enough? Is God enough for my emotional distraught? Is God enough for the circumstances that I'm facing? Is God enough for my stress? Is God enough for my, for my finances? Is he enough for my priorities? Is God enough? And a lot of times we answer that question by answering the question, Is God good? I'm going to tell you right now, God is good whether you understand it or not, or whether you agree with it or not, but sometimes we just need to get in our heads that God is good. So no matter what I'm facing right now, God knows it and God has a plan. No matter what I'm dealing with right now, God has a purpose for my life. No matter what it is that I'm dealing with, I do not have to turn to idols. I do not have to turn to vice. I do not have to turn to myself. I only have to turn to God. So the only question left that I want to leave you with this morning is what is the foundation that your hope is built on today? 
Is the hope of your foundation built upon your abilities, your money, your intelligence, your security, your possessions, your experience, your past, your traditions, your family, your arrogance, your pride, the lives of somebody or something around us? Is your hope, the foundation of your hope, built today upon the things that can be burned up and gone in a moment? Or is the hope of your foundation today built upon God? God says, let me tell you how you build the foundation. Let me tell you how you maintain the foundation. Not only do you get my place right as being God number one in your life, but then the second way that you do it is you don't put idols that don't go there. So what's the hope of your foundation this morning? Bow your heads with me.